0: Excuse me while I spit my ignorance. Prostitution is a child of bad circumstances. Poverty. Which leads to the highways of trafficking where hawk eyes separate the weak from the sustainable. Spit all your lies at me. You'll never rise from here until you're empty. It will only take 11 minutes between being here at home and being on a plane out of the country. It will only be 11 minutes before your assumptions become your experience. Next time you come around here, think before the words pass your lips. Welcome to the Books and Black Coffee Podcast with TMV. We some thermophilic bibliophiles and we're getting ready to get into Eleven Minutes by Paulo Coelho. So this book right here was my introduction to um, Paulo Coelho. And everybody hypes about the alchemist, but eleven minutes was where I got my introduction. And this conversation about to be a whole lot so we'll hold on to your seats get you a coffee get you some tea even though we the books and black coffee podcasts, or whatever
1: so i've only ever read um 11 minutes and the alchemist by paulo coelho and the reason i really like his writing is because he's, his characters are speaking to something deeper than what the story in the um, book is talking about and i don't even remember how i came across 11 minutes It might have just been after reading The Alchemist, it's one that was suggested to me, but I'm so glad I did because it's changed the way I see certain things in the world. And I'm so glad I got to share it with you, V. I think some of the conversations we've had as a result of this book has really changed the way we see things and just our natural stance on certain things a book brings up. And we're going to get into that in this episode. The book is about a woman called Maria who grows up in rural Brazil. Um, she's always dreamt and always felt like she, she has a longing for bigger things. Um, and the book follows her through her journey. She has massive ups and downs as all humans do, especially young women in our societies. But one of the main themes that I kind of wanted to explore with Violet and everyone listening is love and sex. So Maria ends up working as a prostitute in Switzerland. And as someone oh i guess we all do but we all have preconceived notions about what that means or what a prostitute means or who prostitutes are but actually paolo coelho kind of explores that a little bit and it's interesting because one of the things i spoke to violet about was whether she thought paolo coelho as a man could adequately get across all of the feelings the danger the fear the excitement that comes along with how a woman in Maria's position might feel. So there's, there's some really funny parts in the books. There's some gary and sad parts in the books. One of the bits that made me chuckle was when Maria was young and she had sex a few times with the same boy. Coelho writes, she couldn't understand it. Masturbation was much less trouble and far more rewarding, but all the magazines, the TV programs, books, girlfriends, everything, absolutely everything said that a man was essential and that part just kind of made me think it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's such a norm in our society to feel like you haven't made it or you're not on the right path if you don't have a partner or a man, if you are a woman and maybe vice versa to a far lesser degree, I think. And I mean, it's been said in jokes and passing with friends and and like I say, women that I've dated, but I feel like for women, it would just be so, the world would be so much more simple if you didn't have to deal with men. I don't know. How does that make you feel, V? <laughs> Boy,
0: you don't even know. Let me tell you a little something, T. Y'all are more stressed than y'all are worth. Y'all don't come with nutritional information on the box. No warnings. No no precautions we got to take. We ain't even got no anecdotes to neutralize what y'all do to us. But on a serious note, um, the dynamic of what we as men and women have in relationships, whether that is romantically or just as human beings is complicated by our experiences and how we translate um, each other's cues social cues or um, attitudes or behaviors and we don't give ourselves enough time to get to know ourselves what we do and do not like what we can and cannot tolerate and sometimes we go beyond those boundaries so when they are crossed we can't truly translate the experience that comes out the other side of that. And instead, we can have resentment. We can have misunderstandings. We can go through life with this idea that all women must be this way or this difficult to deal with because of the last one I had. Um, all men must be this way because I have received nothing more Um No experiences have taught me that men can be better than this. No experiences have taught me that. I can say no. And I can say no without explanation. I can say no without apology.
1: Yeah, and along the same kind of train of thought, for me, especially as a man, I feel like the book kind of helped me challenge what sex means to me in relationship. Because I think at the moment, perhaps growing up in the world that we live in, I think sex can be maybe seen as a transactional kind of thing, do you know what I mean? You pleasure me, I pleasure you. But it was an interesting part in the book. So after having sex with Ralph, um, who is the guy she ends up falling in love with in the book, uh they have a conversation and he says to her, But it would have been better if you'd had an orgasm too. Maria says, I could have pretended just to please you, but you don't deserve that. Yes, it would have been good to have an orgasm, but it didn't. But I love the cold floor, your warm body. So yeah, reading that part kind of resonated with me and it's something that I had to sit with for a while because I think having grown up in the world that I have, and I can only speak from my experience, but in general, I feel like men see sex as the pinnacle is an orgasm. That's the whole point that a lot of men have sex. Obviously in Maria's head, and I think this will ring true for a lot of women, that the orgasm is part of it and everything else that goes with it, you know, the kindness, the warmth, the the feeling of sharing a moment with someone else is something that is really important. And one of the fears, I think, in a, from a sexual point of view amongst men is that projection onto women, like if you have sex with someone and they don't have an orgasm, but you feel as though you haven't accomplished what you wanted to or you haven't pleased the person. But actually, it's it's like we always say, it's it's very relative to the person. So it's important in relationships to find out what pleases someone. It doesn't have to be sexual. just means in relationships, you can be friends, you can be platonic. Um, Just find out and ask people, what pleases you? What do you enjoy? What's the most important part for you? Or where do we need to spend the most time? And I think that's something that doesn't really happen in relationships. Um, We put so much pressure on ourselves with sex and intimacy. And actually, one of the things the books point at is it's part of the intimate connection with someone else, you know? It's not the be-all and end-all.
0: When you start to explore... Um, the different ways that we do or do not serve each other within this tool of um, intimacy? Is there anything that you think we can explore deeper in terms of the dynamics between who holds the power when somebody is not pleased or when we view this tool in the wrong way? And with we see it as this thing outside of the beauty of what it should be.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think this is one of the things Paola Coelho does really well in the book. So about halfway through the book, um, Maria says she realizes that all of her clients, whether they're arrogant, rich, married, single, quiet, introverted, extroverted, she proposes that all men deep down are afraid of women, whether that is their wife, sister, or mother. An interesting for Maria because she says in the book she comes from perhaps an objective point of view as a prostitute for her the sex that she has with these men is not emotionally entangled so perhaps you can look at it objectively but she has the ability to see beyond the behavior and the exterior of the men she sleeps with and in those intimate vulnerable moments she sees a common thread of deep-seated fear of women in all of the men that she sees yeah I had to readjust my foundations massively on this because I think there's a power dynamic which Paolo through Maria makes very evident Um, And I don't think it's unique to a prostitute client type situation. And it's kind of a deep, deep one on this one. So stick with me. But this part of the book just kind of made me feel or highlighted to me that, you know, like all organisms fear extinction, whether it be extinction of yourself or extinction of your species. And in the human race, women are the only way we can continue as a human race. And I don't know if this is too off the wall, but perhaps we men have a deep seated subconscious fear of not being able to reproduce ourselves. And Dr. Frances Cresswell in her book Isis Papers proposes something similar in terms of race and origins of racism. So I guess where my thoughts kind of led me to was just thinking whether what Maria is saying, this fear of women amongst all of the men that she sees, if it is this fear of, you know, not being able to reproduce ourselves and having a reliance on women that We project that fear onto women, which causes us to behave in all sorts of mad ways, you know? I don't know, V. What do you think? Is that too wacky?
0: That's an interesting perspective, T. But I want to go further with the fact that these men are not reproducing with Maria in this moment. So it's the fear that they are reproducing their fears in the moments that they have with her, where she's just a tool for pleasure. She's a tool for passing some time. She's a tool for the release of things that they may have carried within their day, within their week, or from the last encounter that they ever had with a woman in this way. Do men not only reproduce in the sense of kids and and continuing the human race or themselves, but do they reproduce their fears in... This is the only thing that they make. they feel they have power through instead of reproducing a love that they have within themselves in that intimate moment with a woman rather than reproducing the fears of what may or may not be present in their lives, what security they may or may not have within themselves. Because if a woman was... Go into the depths of her being to ensure that she's secure within herself. She loves her. Then she can reproduce that love when she interacts with a man. And just to go along the same wacky lines and going a little deeper is, I remember you put me onto the biology of belief. And with that concept comes that whatever we don't deal with deep-seated within us, we reproduce it and... That is a reproduction of our trauma, that is a reproduction of our experiences. That is not the continuation of the human race, that is just another form of our traumas that we haven't dealt with. They will react in behaviors and setbacks and problem behaviors and interactions with each other in the world and we as parents will sit at home wondering what went wrong, what was lacking, what didn't we give to this child ways that we went wrong with nurture and ways in which nature did the rest of the raising and sometimes nature doesn't always give you the desired expect you want um, expectation that you want it will feed back to you what you give it you will not reap a pear tree if you put an orange seed in the ground yeah damn
1: I get so much knowledge listening to you speak um <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. And maybe it's it's too simplistic to try and um, to try and generalize and say maybe that's a deep seated fear of all men. Because you're absolutely right. I think it's also a function of your lived experience. And speaking from experience, when I was young and at school, I always used to be really shy and nervous speaking to women specifically, like speaking to guys, even if they're randomers. Um, was absolutely fine. And it was only when I was older, I started to look back, like, why was that? Or why is that the case? And then you realize there's things like, you know, growing up at home, how much attention did your mum give you? How much attention did the women around you, if you don't have a mother, and what was that interaction like? Was it a safe space? Did you feel like you were valued? Did you feel like you could talk openly like you could with your dad, with your mum? And it's how much of an impact, you know, our our relationship with our parents or with our family members can have that play in this um power dynamic between men and women or between people in same sex relationships. Another really eye opening or part of the book that really makes you think, um, after Maria first has sex with someone for money, she writes Oddly enough, I have no sense of guilt. I used to think of girls who went to bed with men for money as people who had no other choice and now now i see that it isn't like that i could have said yes or no no one was forcing me to accept anything she goes on to say she could have left the restaurant with her dignity intact and her purse empty she finishes the diary entry by saying in the search for happiness however we are all equal none of us are happy and there's so much to consider and try and unpack in that in that diary entry of Maria's. But the first thing that I think rung out to me massively was just the strength of Maria as a character. Like she 100% takes responsibility and accountability for the decisions that she chooses to make. And obviously this is unique to her. I think sex work is a really, it's really messy in ways because sometimes you don't know if people have been forced down that road. Some people choose to do that as work. And I guess only in your experience as that person, you can truthfully say what it is. But for Maria, she says she could have chosen to walk out with her dignity intact and her purse empty. Part of me feels like, yeah, she made that choice, but also part of me feels like she did it for the money. So it was a choice that she had to make in order to earn some money. So is it really a choice? And that's just where my brain goes when I read that part. yeah, I'd really challenge you guys, if you do read the book, um, read it and sit with it. See how it makes you feel. I'd be really interested to see what you all think about it. What are your points of views and perspectives? Is it choice? And the other thing that really, um, that really got me going in this part of the book as well was, what she says in the search for happiness, we're all equal and none of us are happy. And it kind of just makes you think our society tries to make us believe that certain things as long as you have them will make us happy which i don't know in my experience i think is not true i think everyone's happiness is purely subjective and all of us in a perfect world would be spending our time trying to figure out what it is that makes us happy and then doing that for the rest of our lives but actually what maria is here is saying um or what I took away from what Maria said is, it's kind of the point of view of, you can't judge me for what I'm doing to earn money because we're all searching for it. Whether you sit behind a desk or whether you sell your body, A, it's your choice. And B, we're all searching for the same thing. We're all in the same boat. Another bit in the book that I think is great and how Paolo Coelho writes is he really empowers Maria, I think. Another example of this is when she first arrives in Switzerland um, and she realises... She's not going to be a model and she's going to be dancing in the Copacabana. And it's not what she imagined. She writes, I can choose either to be a victim of the world or an adventurer in search of treasure. It's all a question of how I view my life. And I think that mentality is something that I've learned later on in my life. It's you cannot ever control the circumstances or things that happen to you, but you absolutely can control your mentality or how you choose to view it. You can spend all of your time lamenting, being sad. Uh, feeling beaten up, feeling hard done by, which you're perfectly entitled to do if that's how you want to live your life. But in order to make progress or in order to pull yourself out of a situation, you have to have an imagination and you have to have some type of positivity that drives you in order to get out of it. And just a sense of responsibility and saying, yeah, the situation's out of my control, but my next steps or my next actions are absolutely in my control and how can they help me get closer to where i want to be in life
0: i think that's so important T. i'll go further with what you said by being lost in the situation and feeling so much despair i would say yeah stay in that feeling honor it because if you don't you won't be able to move past it but the point is i am in the circumstance i am not the circumstance the circumstance does not define me But it does give definition to what I must do next, Um, how I must proceed from this, how I must ensure that even if I don't come out of this intact, I come out of this navigating and picking my pieces up and making something new out of it, making sense of it so I can move forward. It is the ability to identify time and time again that we will get to points where we don't have control over the circumstance. But what we do have control over is allowing ourselves to navigate those feelings so we can move forward. Always allow yourself to move forward, no matter how slow that progress is, and no matter how long it takes you to get there. Just get there. Just get there.
1: I think we agree also that forward is on your own path, right? There's, there is no forward for everyone. so. It is also on you to decide what forward means and where you're going. Most of Maria's insights come through entries in her diary. And she reflects on things that have happened throughout her life or in situations throughout the book that the reader also experiences. And she comes to realizations which the reader and Maria herself do not understand at the time. And the power of reflecting through a diary in this case is evident throughout this whole book. And so I wanted to ask you, V, what's your, what's your outlet? Do you journal or do you have a way of reflecting?
0: I journal from time to time. But I think my biggest tool, and, you know, anybody that's heard V talk enough times, you know that I say, speak out loud to yourself without apology. And my greatest reflection comes from talking to myself out loud. Um, I can hold conversations with myself where I talk to me and respond right back to me. I will navigate situations where I feel like I've overreacted. And I think that's why it's so important uh, for us to take time apart from the world and from the noise and to sit with ourselves. Because if we go into the world at those moments, we may give the wrong reactions that are not representative of who we are at our core. And through those conversations I have out loud with myself, I can talk myself into a situation Situation and talk myself out of it. Let me explain. If I feel like I've overreacted to something, maybe somebody said something, maybe something didn't turn out the way I thought it would or should have, I will sit with myself. I will navigate where my reaction is coming from, what is the basis and foundation of that reaction. I have to ask myself if the things I'm feeling are true based on the character of the person I'm dealing with. If that is not their nature, if that is not how I usually see them behave, or that's not how they would usually talk to me or express themselves, I got to check me. Do I have... Have I brought... Have I created this story in my mind that they don't respect me? Have I created this story in my mind that they don't understand me or they don't care about my feelings, or... Is it a case of, V, sit down, go into your deep thinker's bag and see that actually a lot of things that we think is about us. It ain't about you, boo. It's not about you. However they spoke that day, it's not about you. However they reacted in that moment, it's not about you. And when we make it about ourselves, we don't give ourselves enough time to see people going through their own stuff, too. People uh, have their own worlds outside of their interactions with you. The power of reflection is the ability to grow some of the conversations we have with ourselves when we're going through some of the biggest changes in our lives. If we can put those two words in the journal, if we can put that into conversation out loud with ourselves and just sit with ourselves and navigate, you can do it while you run, you can do it while you walk in. You can do it while you're cooking. You can do it while you're doing some yoga or whatever your practices are or whatever you do to center yourself or to calm down or to give yourself some self-care. In those moments is your opportunity to just sit with yourself, navigate the change, break it down into this is who I was and this is who I'm becoming. And I feel like there's a section in the book, um, which we'll come to later, where I feel like Maria mourns who she used to be, and who she's becoming. It is a grieving between what I've known and what I'm about to be introduced to. And you have to reflect. There's no other way to navigate this easier than to just give yourself some time. You deserve that much. Just those few moments or hours or days. If you have to think about it a little bit today and forget about it tomorrow and think about it on Tuesday again, just reflect give yourself that
1: time. I think you're absolutely right, V. And I started writing or journaling way too late. I mean, I think it was only after speaking with you that I properly was intentional about it. It's when you give yourself time and space to just write things down or consider things, Um, I know people that reflect through i don't know poetry or writing song lyrics or you know recording into a microphone and then listening to it back you can do it anyway but i think one of the things that you told me v was even if you feel like there's nothing in particular that you want to write or nothing seems to have happened throughout your day just make it a habit just make it a practice just write like one sentence a day if you want to uh summarize your whole day into how you're feeling um, and then over time, it just becomes, it becomes a skill. Exactly like we've said before, um, you get better at it. You start being able to put words and articulate some of the feelings that you have. Cause that's one of the things I found really hard. Like in situations or interactions with people, I'd be, I'd know what I'm feeling. But when I came to write about it, I had absolutely no idea how to describe it. But that comes with time, doesn't it? And like we say, it's just practice. So if you don't already, I would definitely recommend doing some kind of reflective practice. I think it will help you understand some of your behaviors a little bit more.
0: And something that came to mind as you were saying that, T, is another thing I think I remember saying to you was sometimes we hold so much weight in our minds that we don't enable ourselves to think. So putting those words on paper gives you more mental space, more space in your mental notebook to note things and explore things. And... Just make your mind, the load, just a little easier to bear. So let's move on to something else um, to explore, which is a scene in the book where she's sent by the modeling agency to meet with an Arab man. And she thinks that maybe it's an opportunity to prob- probably model, do something she finally wanted to do. And she's in this restaurant, and this man is telling her, you ever heard of Joe Miro?" Her work's on the wall, paintings all over the restaurant. There's this fancy Chinese food, and then they're seated at the table where some dude called Fellini has sat before and eaten. It's like us saying, uh, here's a Picasso on the wall, and this is where Barack sat, and this is where Mr. Johnson sat, and all these delegates and important people have dined here. But I want to explore this moment and say that in the middle of this, Maria is unfazed by all the importance and talent that may have sat in that restaurant, that may have dined in that restaurant, whose work is around. And it's a call in that moment where we say, you know, when the sound of her hunger and her needs are louder than what he needs or his ego needs from her in that moment, what value did Joe Miro and Fellini have to her? We face this in life sometimes where other people can have some some amazing things going on around them. And they say, these are the places that these great people visited. But in the moment, you're not there. I cannot relate to the joy that you have in this place because the circumstances that brought me to this location are not the most ideal. They're not what I wanted. There is I really don't even want to be here right now, but I'm just here. Because y'all are here. Because circumstances has told me I got to be here, right here, right now. And when she asks him to pour her a a glass of wine, that wine is the last request that Maria has for something that she actually wants. That glass is a pause between a place where she she is with the decisions that got her there and the position she's about to be in, which I'll reflect on later. And reflecting later is like pressing the control Z. Like, you want to undo some things on a situation that you wish was different.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, V. And in the in the book, I think the guy she's in the restaurant with, he kind of panics a little bit. And he doesn't know what's going on because Maria's, I don't know, she's kind of, um, she starts crying, I think, after a while when he buys her a drink or she has a. Glass of wine. She says, "Just let me cry. I'm fine." What you said there, in that moment, you know, these things that are uh, that are cool, fashionable, or you know, everyone else thinks are cool. In that moment, it doesn't matter, and it it just draws light to the fact that sometimes I don't know when you're hanging out with friends or when you're hanging out with someone. And exactly like you said, if their behavior slightly off, or if if there's something that's clearly on their mind, um you know, don't take offense if. Your celebrations aren't met with other celebrations. Do you know what I mean? Because we all have stuff going on. And there's no way to tell how you bringing something up can affect someone else in that moment. You don't know if someone's just been let go from work or if, you know, one of their family members is sick or whatever. And it's just being self-aware and being aware of the energy that is being reflected from you. And most of the time it's not even an issue, do you know what I mean? Most of the times with your friends and the people that you hang out with or the people that you meet, you know, I think as humans, we tend to have things that in general make us all kind of happy, more kind of smile, but it's very circumstantial.
0: Let me be honest Richard T. Maria cried, I would have cried too. On page 55, the lines read, but reality had just fallen in on her. To the man's surprise, she began to cry. He did not know what to do. Caught between his fear of causing a scandal and his indistinctive desire to protect her. He called the waiter over in order to ask for the bill, but Maria stopped him. No, don't do that. Pour me some wine and just let me cry for a while. She wasn't crying because of that moment. Maria wasn't in that room for those moments. The crying wasn't about Moreau, Fellini, or the Arab man. Maria was mourning. Mourning what should have been, what could have been. She was mourning the reality she thought she would have. In that moment, when Maria asks the Arab man to take a seat, he's used to being the main character, but these tears are not about him or his feelings or his thoughts or this fancy restaurant or this fancy Chinese food. So that second glass of wine asks of him to wait. Wait for me to gather my things. You'll get what you want. I'm not asking to be excused from my mission. She's mourning the idea that she had of a husband and grandkids and how her life would be, and how her career would be. And this man wants to be the main character, unknowingly, when he asks for that bill. So the second glass of wine is to say, no, I want to be here. I just want you to give me some time to come back to this room while I just left it in my mind because of what I'm having to process and what I'm mourning and how different this looks to the reality that I had in mind. And I know you used to being the main character and you used to having things on command and you quickly sort out issues as they come, but this one ain't a quick fix. This one, you can't snap your fingers about it. You're going to have to wait. You're still going to get what you want, but let me have what I need right now. All right. I think I want to take us back because, you know, T teased this a little in the beginning and he said we were going to do some unpacking later. And I think it's time. So I feel like Maria left as an adventurer when she left her hometown. But she came back as a woman who had more suitcases than were visible to the human eye. What are these more suitcases? These are some of the things that aren't hers. But they're attached to her. And at some time, sooner in the future, she has to she will have to unpack them. She'll have to work through their stuff and understand how she made it through, how she got the feeling back in her body, and identify what is still hers. More suitcases means that she still has more journeys to take. And she didn't leave with the suitcases of the men. I mean, she didn't come to um, Switzerland with these men and these experiences. But she let, she sure did leave with a few things on her perceptions of what seemed so important. And it's amazing how circumstances and situations and journeys can make us rethink some of the things we thought were so important and how we thought things should have panned out. But the idea is to remain an adventurer, to remain on a journey where you enable, where you allow yourself to take stuff that's not yours, whether that's the things that people put on you or you're forced to take just to um rush out of a situation or to rush out of out of saying something you don't want to say or. Having to deal with a situation where somebody has made it their mission to purposely misunderstand you. And this is also unpacked in another scene where she's with this dude and she's walking along a beach. She's got this real sparkly dress on. And she has enough money to spend as she would please. But somehow something doesn't fit right. She's got the sparkle, she's got the money, but it just doesn't feel right. Something is missing. And I think what this made me realize is the realization that disappointments on the other side of the things we thought would complete us is very real. It's painful when you think that the bigger things, the heights, the title, the money would fill you. But rather, when you get there, they make you hollow. When you don't build the person at the core on the way to possession of these things, you will arrive there empty because you didn't gather anything that would build your core on your way there. It's just a prompt should I say to everybody to search, your, search yourself on your journey to marriage, relationships, friendships, acquiring a wealth or money or a position or power or a title, build the person who is on the journey because the joy is in the journey, it's not in the destination that's where we get it wrong. We become fearful of what will be on the other side when we don't take joy in the journey there and the things we learn about ourselves and the things that we can unpack and deal with because it can be a trying journey on getting the things that you want and if you don't have the structure in place to handle all of that responsibility and wealth or joy that you think you have, you will really be alone like more alone than you were on the journey there
1: uh you're gonna open pandora's box here (laughs) the human mind loves to get attached to things so the idea that uh, when i have a million pounds i'll be happy or i'm just gonna get this car and then i've made it or i just need to be in a relationship with this person and then i'll feel safe and secure always when you get it you're gonna be um disappointed and I think it's really important. I think we mentioned this in the Walden episode, but it's really important to understand what is the driver for that. If you want to be rich, why do you want to be rich? Is it a power thing? Is it a security thing? Is it to make yourself seem a certain type of way? And the same with relationships. Like when you understand what the other person or what you're hoping the other person is going to feel or is going to cover up in your personality, the outcome of it is less important. And like you said, the the process of understanding exactly why you want this or the process of getting to that achievement grows you as a person. That is reward in itself. The actual achievement or the buying of the thing or receiving of the thing is just a kind of icing on the cake.
0: Tia, I got a question for you. What do you think is important for somebody to consider or prepare themselves for if they decide to read 11 Minutes? I had the privilege of you asking me a few questions before you decided if I was worthy of reading this book.
1: Well, firstly, I'd just like to say you're worthy of reading any book, Violet. So sex is one of those things that is, I think, maybe a bit taboo in our life. Maybe it's changing with in our society today. But I think the most important thing is just to is just to be accepting of other people's points of views i think perhaps in times in the book you may feel uncomfortable or you may feel judgmental but all i would urge you is just to understand the message that the book is trying to promote firstly through maria what is paulo coelho trying to communicate to you as a reader through the character of maria and the other people she meets. Just having the ability to imagine a different world, imagine a different way of thinking than what, in inverted comm- commas, the norm is. Pick it up, put it down whenever you need to take, as long as you need to with it. And there might even be sections in the book that you want to skip. But like I say, I think the the threads and the themes throughout the book are consistent. Um, so I think there's lessons for anyone to be learned. And I'd just like to give a shout out to the librarian Um, who features in the book. She ends up becoming one of Maria's closest friends and personal advisors. But one of the things she says to Maria when she first meets her is, read, forget everything you've been told about books and just read. And you'll you'll see when you read the book how Maria's life starts to change as a result of just reading any kind of books. I think she starts off reading language books to learn French or whatever the language is. Um, And then she picks up random books but even the way she thinks just starts to change, and you notice that as a reader. So like I said, shout-out to the librarian and shout-out to librarians all across the world who are opening kids' imaginations. Not just kids, even adults.
0: You've been listening to the Books in Black Coffee podcast with your two favourite thermophilic bibliophiles who reside in the hot springs of coffee. Black coffee, to be specific, and we love your support we really appreciate it so remember to share rate and review until next time happy reading